0: Thank you all so much for checking out the Darren Yates podcast. Make sure you follow my YouTube page, my Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. I want to hear from all of you. I want to hear your stories. I want to help all I can. God bless. Love you. Let's talk soon.
1: I was so lonely until I met you. Told myself I'd get by without love. But
0: guys performing friday june 9th one week from today at the wildy theater in eversville illinois 8 p.m on the 40th anniversary tour right now on the darren Yates show live on riot radio superstar singer songwriter performer mr john wait thank you again how are you my friend
1: i very good thanks i'm in california at the moment i'm in santa monica just uh had a several cups of coffee and um trying to wake
0: up but, I love uh, it where
1: are you oh you're in the Midwest right
0: we're actually in Collinsville Illinois we're about 15 minutes from St. Louis
1: oh that's great I like St. Louis
0: yeah and we're about we're about five minutes from the venue you're going to be playing next week so looking forward oh to, that's great yeah and I, and I guess it sold out pretty fast you're uh yeah no we I it was it. a
1: great time last time it was people were it was a really great night The nice people there and uh is the sound's good and everything. We're looking forward to, it's the first gig of the tour. Nice. So it's great just to kick it off, you
0: know? Nice. Well, congrats. 40 years in the business. The babies launched with the late 70s. Isn't it time? The single, of course, every time I think of you. Congrats. What an awesome, awesome career, and you're rocking, keeping it going. I love it.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, interesting. I never thought I would be able to, um, have a full life making music, but I mean, it's, when it's what you do, you sort of get up in the morning and just play the guitar. I mean, it's like you write things down all the time. It isn't like it's a job. I mean, it's what <laughs> what I am. So really, you know, I've been blessed for that, and it just kept going. The people wanted to hear me sing and write songs, and it's it's just been really a great thing to do.
0: Nice. Well, you know, I've I've done a lot of interviews in the past, you know, with celebrities and stuff, but I. <laughs> The response I have gotten with you, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have sent in questions to ask him and this and that and shout outs from all these different places all over the world. So if you don't mind, oh, great. I did pick a few a few questions from the fans. I have a couple of my own, if you don't mind. Hope you have a little Yeah,
1: sure. Whatever you want to ask, I'll, I'll do my best to give you a straight up
0: answer. This is awesome. Thank you again, John. So you're from Lancaster, England. You launched onto the scene with the Babies, late 70s. So before that, tell me how, how you first got started in music and how the Babies came together.
1: Well, I, you know, being a, I'm from a musical family. My cousin Michael was a banjo player and guitar player in the Temperance 7. And when I was a kid, he played me all this sort of uh, Bill, big Bill bronzy blues stuff. And, you know, his sister gave me uh, some singles. And their mother, my auntie Doris, gave me a record player. Because nice. uh, we didn't have much when we were kids. We didn't really have a lot of anything. But I did have this radiogram that was half radio and half record player. (laughs) Yeah. These singles, you know, these singles. And and, uh, and it's before the Beatles, you know, it's just uh, not more than four years old, really. But um, it was a fantastic experience to hear all this music coming from America. And I discovered that I had an affinity for the blues.
2: Yeah.
1: And I love country music and I love Brenda Lee and. And um, Elvis was a bit too adult for me. I didn't get Elvis at all, being a kid. But uh, somewhere in there, the Shadows arrived with my brother, Joe. He's a great guitar player too. And he was playing me the Shadows and that was the first record I bought. And then the Beatles happened and it's just like everything happened at once. By Uh the time I was about nine, the Beatles were on the scene and uh, that was the end of it. It, Everything was just music. And I was in local bands when I was at art school uh, when I was about 16, I went to art school, and a local art school, a very good one. Um, beautiful building with skylights in it, for so the life class, And it was a real art school kind of life. But um, I played in local bands and then eventually moved to London with a band called England, and we played like the Marquee Club on Water Street and hung around in Soho and did all that. Then I quit and went back to, to Lancaster to see my girlfriend, I missed her so much.
2: Yeah, there and then you go.
1: Yeah, it was bad. And um, <laughs> but I'd run out. I'd, there was nowhere to play. I didn't have a job. I couldn't really go home again. It was really bad. And I got a letter from America saying, "Come and play a bass in this band in Cleveland." So I went to Cleveland for about four months, and um, that fell through. Went home to London. Uh, got a small crash pad over a sweet shop in in West in Belsize Park, <laughs> and and somehow got. Uh, Involved in what was to become the babies, and uh, the, the manager Adrian Miller uh, wrote me in to write songs, play bass, and sing. They had a guitar player that was the babies, but you know, it was a, a guitar player, they had nothing really. But I had songs, and I could sing, and I could play bass, and I was, I guess, I looked the part. Nice. And um, we got Tony Brock down, we were rehearsing by Tower Bridge down south of the Thames, which people would think is. London Bridge, but it's not; it's Tower Bridge, the one with the two towers on it. And we were in a side street called Tully Street, in a big warehouse in the basement. It was like Charles Dickens. It was in <laughs> London in the mid '70s. It was cold. It was winter. It was it was a lot of trouble, but it was a dream. You know, we all we'd all been around the block, gone nowhere. Me and Tony had really done a lot of gigs. But the other, Mike hadn't. He was just sort of like just hanging around Chelsea. But uh, we had a couple of years of bringing people down to try and make it a bigger band and we recorded some demos. Eventually we got Wally Stalker, uh, who arrived last when we were about to throw in the towel. He was the last guy to knock on the door at Tuley Street. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, I remember opening the door and there he was, all five foot seven of him, (laughs) with his big army overcoat, this black overcoat with a guitar case. And I knew it. I, I, before I, When I heard the doorbell ring upstairs, I knew that it was it was good news. And I yeah. ran upstairs laughing. And I opened the door and there was Wally. And we had a band suddenly. And uh, we filmed us uh, lip syncing along to the demos and we got signed. It was an unbelievable thing to be signed. And we got a huge deal with Chrysalis. And we made a record with Bob Ezrin in Toronto and then we went back home and then came to America for a 12 day tour. America liked us. When we started touring America, we, we built this big following, live following, and the rest is, is history, really.
0: Yeah, and you, and you were what, in your teens, early 20s? No, I was, right?
1: about, I was about 22, 23 Yeah, then.
0: right. Oh, man, yeah. that's awesome.
1: Yeah, but pretty young. The 70s, uh, I mean, if you look back at Almost Famous, uh, Cameron Crowe's movie, that was pretty much what was going on. It was a great
2: oh, yeah.
1: time. It, it'll never come again because it was so new. Right. But with Rolling Stone and Cream magazine and Circus magazine, it was like rolling you couldn't find rock and roll unless you looked for it. yeah it right. wasn't It wasn't commercialized like it is today.
0: Gotcha. So when you first came to America's Heart Playing, was there a big difference in playing over overseas in Europe or you know versus was it a giant culture shock or was it no big deal? or what was the vibe?
1: No, it was a giant culture shock, all the things that I, I knew it was coming because I'd been to Cleveland. Right. The other guys didn't, they'd never been. But i had been—I I'd spent four months in Ohio, and I kinda knew the music scene really well. And I was very aware of Aerosmith, and uh, Joe Walsh, James Gang, and Humble Pie, and the bands that were doing very well, and I knew what was going on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they didn't, but the head of the record company knew what was going on also, so he kinda believed me to sort of put it together and keep going. But it, it was a culture shock. I mean, going to get a, a McDonald's, you know, uh, to the highways, the, the the buildings, the Art Deco buildings in the northwest uh, and in the Midwest and on the east coast, really, in New York City. It was a fabulous, interesting time because it was still rough. It hadn't been, uh, the freeways were, were really, you know, they were connecting American cities. But Cleveland was different to Detroit. Detroit was different to Houston. New York City was way different to any of it. Boston felt like Boston. Now that's blurred. But when you're on the road and you're that age and you're looking at America for the first time, each city was very, very different. Right. It was fabulous, really. It was unbelievably great.
0: That's awesome. So, talk a little bit about the transition from the babies to doing your solo thing. If if I if I researched correctly, there was there was a fan incident where they they grabbed yeah, you and pulled yeah, you off stage. Something. Yeah, it,
1: I forget where we were. Uh, uh, Cincinnati, and I, I kind of came off the drum riser with the mic stand and, and somebody pulled a, a cable, I think, and I twisted around and came down wrong and tore the cartilage in my knee. Oh
0: my gosh.
1: Yeah, it was painful. Uh, w- they carried me off stage.
0: Rock and roll ain't easy, I mean, is not. it?
1: <laughs> what? What was that?
0: I said, rock and roll ain't easy, is it?
1: No, it was, it was pretty tough that yeah. night. But, uh, <laughs> but we, I, I, they strapped me up, gave me a bunch of painkillers, and we tried to play again in Akron the next night. And um, that was the end of it. I couldn't, I, I got halfway to the set and just blacked out. So it was kind of like, but at least you went out in Chrissy Hind's hometown. It was, I always <laughs> thought of that. I thought, well, that's okay. You know, Chrissy Hind was born here. There's a certain connection to being 10th. Yeah. But uh, I went home to England and then I came back about four months later to live in New York City and start a solo record. And that didn't work out after two years. It had some big songs on it, but the record company wasn't really doing well. You mean with the it? Cha-
0: ignition, change, you know change. I mean? yeah.
1: Yeah. And and I was very disheartened of that because I think the, the record company kind of dropped the ball on the babies towards the end. So I, I quit. I went home, got married, bought a small cottage in the country, and um, that was it. And yeah. about six months later, a, a lawyer in New York rang up and said he could get me out of my deal with Christmas. It would cost me a lot of money, but I, he could do it. But you did it. And, um, and he did it he got me off and I went to EMI flew to uh, LA to sign the contract met Gary Myrick who's a guitar player and we started writing songs immediately and just went in the studio it was it was not planned Right. and I didn't go home for like uh, two months yeah. I left my wife I was married at the time went home I uh, went, went to America and and didn't come back for two months but I, I did write a terrific record No Breaks and we had Missing You on that yeah. and after that the rest is history it's just like a, it just took off and was huge you
0: know right on man so No Breaks 1984 the single Missing You this brings me to my uh, our, our first fan question from Michael Corley he is a Riot Radio host he hosts uh, The Music of Our Lives here a very cool show he says John did you know how huge Missing You was going to be and if so was it from the time you first heard it in the headphones or was it later after it was mixed and edited and all that stuff? No, when did you know?
1: No, when I was doing the demo, I was at somebody's house singing over a guitar track. I just heard a few bars of this guitar track and I said, I want to sing on top of that. I just give me a shot of that. And I put the headphones on in this guy's spare room and sang along and came up with almost the entire lyric immediately. It just came out of wow. absolutely nowhere. Yeah, it was shocking, but, but I <laughs> so always write cool. like that. I write like that a lot. I, I, I'm able still to be unselfconscious enough to just word associate and go. And when it hit the chorus, I sang, I ain't missing you at all, I mean, it was, just, it was perfect. And uh, I stood back from the mic, it was like being punched. I just knew it was number one. I knew it arrived at a place that was in my destiny. That's I really, so cool. it sounds deep, but I really understood it. Okay. And um, I went to Jamaica, I went back to New York and mixed the record and my wife flew over and we went to Jamaica we went to take a holiday and i remember being uh, in the surf with a walkman
2: <laughs> yeah. listening
1: to it over and over again and i actually i was so oh, i just knew it was going to be a different life
2: oh man and i gosh. actually
1: dropped the walk i dropped the walkman chills. in the surf and it was that was kaput the walkman but, but i remember that that trip and and just knowing that my life was going to change beyond all belief.
0: So your shows probably went from, what, maybe a few hundred, a couple thousand, to what, tens of thousands, right? I mean, what was that like?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I mean, you really had to go out with another band to get those sort of figures. Uh, if you were, I mean, those kind of bands, mm-hmm. like Fleetwood Mac and The Eagles, that, that happens at a certain level with a huge management. But I think we were still, I didn't really have a manager, I had two lawyers, just, like I was doing, just putting it together and saying, okay, we'll go and do that. And I think that was my saving grace really is that I could come in and play places and sell it out and do well, sell about 2,000, 4,000 tickets and play big festivals. But I could always back away and go back to my life. I didn't want to be in the spotlight all the time. Mm -hmm. I knew what that was like. And being solo, you're, you're a lot more... Of a moving target. There's nobody to really shield you from other people. You, right. You've got to deal with it all. So it was. That's the way I've wanted to do it all my life, really.
0: Right. So missing you takes off. You do your thing. You live a different life, pretty much. And so, in '88 or so, the original members of the Babies kind of got back together. And then, is that when Bad English formed?
1: Yeah, I I signed a, a solo deal with Epic. And I went in to meet them with my manager, and the A&R guy was really strange. He wanted to make a, <laughs> a record that I didn't write, you know, and I'd just written really? Missing You. He was say, well, you know, John, we're going to take care of the songs. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Right, well, I, I mean, a not- guy that
0: writes Missing You, I think you can call the shots now, can't you? <laughs>
1: well, he didn't think so. He was like, yeah. you know, he was going to tell me what to do. And I and I thought, well, I really want to be on Epic, you know, because they're a great company. And Polly Anthony, the, the, the promotion... Head of promotion there was a, was a incredible force. She passed away a couple of years ago, but she was a beautiful, intelligent, sexy go getter. And I wanted to work with her. Nice. And I, and I thought, well, what can I do? You know, what? I don't want to be dealing with this guy. And I and I thought about it. I went away, <laughs> and I thought I came back and thought I'm going to put a band together. I'll put a band together, and it'll be four or five of us and we won't, I won't have to deal with this guy, we'll just be united, it'd be be a very different thing to do, nobody expects it, and I'll be able to get back to writing, you know. And I did, it took a long, it took about three months to wind up with, with me and Jonathan Cairn working together, then he brought Neil in, then Neil brought Dean Castronovo in, and then Ricky Phillips showed up and that was it. And we just said, okay, we'll do this. And we became bad English and for the next two and a half years, we, uh, we toured and, you know, had a lot of success.
0: Nice. So, of course, the singles, uh, you know, When I See You Smile, Price of Love. Our next fan question is from Jeff Coons. He says, do you still have the black leather jacket from the Price of Love video? And he wants to know ah. if, if you have a car or a motorcycle or both.
1: <laughs> no, I, I don't have the leather jacket. I actually, uh, I, 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 I tossed that away a long time ago. It was all worn out. But uh, it was pretty cool. It had a, it had a, a picture of Jesus on the back <laughs> yeah. from a, a tapestry. And it, it was like a real motorcycle. It was a shot motorcycle jacket. It was a really good one. But uh, it's seen a lot of miles. And in the end, it just got tossed. But right. Jeff, I know Jeff. He's a great guy. Nice. That's Ohio again. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very cool. You guys, if you're just tuning in, this is uh, The Darren Yates Show on Riot Radio. Singer songwriter John Waite is here with us. It's John JohnWaiteWorldwide.com. He's performing next Friday, June 9th, at the Wildy Theater in Eversville, Illinois. It's sold out, of course, 8 p.m. So, so John, you, um, so the band kind of dissolved Bad English. Was that, was that, how did that happen? Was that, was it good, was it a good good terms, bad terms? Was it something you,
1: No, it wasn't good. We were in the record, well, yeah. we'd been sort of pushed back in the studio, and the producer didn't like anything we did. And the band fractured. I mean, it was just, it fractured. Right. And I was like working 18 hours a day trying to come up with anything just to get us going. And everybody was trying to kick in songs, but it all sounded like something else to me. It right. just sounded like, we're trying to sound like other bands. It was just, I think there was a sense of panic mm-hmm. that I would spend a lot of money in the first two weeks. And then the producer became like, I don't like any of this. And we said, well, that's what we do, you know? And it's like, well, you know, and it, it really messed us up yeah and I think I think people just panicked. I didn't. I was pretty sure that we could make a great record if we just took our time. but the clock was running. you know when the clock's running, people expect you to come up with the goods right when they slap their fingers and it's and you know you write great songs inside maybe a two month period. You can write really strong songs and edit and rewrite and um uh, edit again. You can't just write a song the night before and come in. I've done it a couple of times, but it's exceptional to do that. Right. And um, it just became ragged. We, we'd lost our focus completely. And there was a lot of, you know, long silences and people just not knowing what to do. And in the end, I just walked out. I mean, it was just, I couldn't deal with it. I had well, a big row with the producer and it just said, you, really? you know, fuck. Yeah, I did.
0: This sounds like an awesome movie. I think, we should, I think you should make a movie in this.
1: No, I think it's the same with any band. You know, people say, "Oh, that was my hit record," and the record company blew it. But you know, records come and go pretty fast, and things happen pretty fast. And people are very subjective; they see it as they want to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just the way of the world. I mean, yeah. you have this lucky streak, and you have this like silver bullet, and you you're doing well, and nobody can stop you. And then you take your eyes off the prize for a second, and it's gone. I mean, it's, it's, things change all the time and uh, you should accept that and be positive and be grateful for the, the great things that happen in your life and try and reinvent, you know, not just stick with what works or worked 30 years ago. You should always try and move forward. And I think that's a difficult thing for a lot of people in business, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you you had a pretty stable, awesome solo career to, to fall back on. So you released a bunch of awesome albums. I saw that you toured with Ringo Starr and his all-star band. I gotta yeah, ask. I gotta ask about that experience.
1: Well, it was crazy. I mean, I got the phone call. Uh, I'd just been on the road with Peter Frampton and Journey, and I'd made a, a, quite a lot of money. And I thought, well, I'm going to buy a place. So I bought a place in Santa Monica, two thousand square feet. I'm sitting in it now. It's and the phone rang, and I, you know, I'd bitten up a lot uh, financially. And the phone rang, and he says, "Do you want to go and play with Rango? And I thought, well, jeez. Who doesn't, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I thought, well, I used to be a bass player. I could play bass, you know? And uh, I was thinking about it, and it made me an offer. And I thought, well, if I, if I do the tour, I'll never have any debts, you know? I'm sort of... And I just thought, well, I'll jump in and see what happens. So about three months later, we all met up in Toronto and rehearsed for two weeks. And it came out pretty good. I mean, Sheila, he was in it. And Colin, Colin Hay and oh, yeah. uh, Paul Carrick. Nice. Paul Carrick was fantastic. It was a very good band. I think it was I'm very simple on the bass. Uh, but I'm driving, I dig in. The babies the first three babies albums I played bass on them. There you go. And I know what I'm I know what I'm doing. It's, it's sometimes weird playing sort of Hispanic funk with Sheila Ree. <laughs> but yeah. the uh it, that was, you know, that was a challenge. But it was great. I mean Ringo no matter which part of his career you look at, he's always gonna be Ringo with the Beatles. And no matter how you look at it, it's, it's absolutely gigantic, his contribution to percussion and how good the drumming was in the Beatles.
2: Definitely. I
1: mean, it doesn't matter which period of the Beatles you look at, it's right. staggering how good he is from the first album that sort of like hitting the snare the way he hit it, and it's just a millisecond behind the beat kind of thing. It's yeah. never on top of the beat. Right. I mean, yeah, he awesome. is a dream. You know, he's he's just Ringo. So, I just dug in. I just wanted to be part of it. Shut up and play.
0: Really. Nice. Well, before I ask you about the duet with Alison Krauss, I gotta ask you. So, Santa Monica. You know, I used to live in Santa Monica. I was a substitute teacher out there, and I gotta yeah. ask. I gotta ask about Barney's Beanery. Have you ever been out there? I have to ask.
1: In Barney's Beanery?
0: Yeah. Is that still there? Um, Yeah. I think it's West Hollywood. Yeah, yeah,
1: Barney's Beanery. It's on the promenade, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I used to go in there and have a pint of Guinness or two, but um, (laughs) it's a little claustrophobic for me. Uh, The Barney's Beanery uh, down in Hollywood, West Hollywood, I used to go in there with the babies after we played gigs and played pool with the Hells Angels. I mean, that's that's my Barney's Beanery, the original one. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, the second one is is a little touristy, and it's um,
0: they've okay.
1: got like air of at the bar, which <laughs> makes me very suspicious.
0: Oh, that's great! Well, I think I remember seeing a bunch of pictures of you up there, signed pictures, you know, at the at the Barnes Beanery. It's is a pretty uh, pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So, missing you, released as a duet with Alison Krauss in two thousand six, it reaches, you know, I think the top forty. And at this point, you're so used to having, you know, several songs out, you know, in in the Billboard charts, top top songs charting pretty high I gotta ask do you do you pay attention to the charts or is that something you know after this much success does it, does it really even matter no
1: I no I honestly don't look at the charts anymore especially now uh, when when I was living in Nashville I was very interested in, in instrument uh, in acoustic music and I always truly did love country and blues so I went to live in Nashville about uh, 10 years ago um, and made a lot of records there It was very sleepy, you know, it was very, very country, and it was people like Vince Gill and Rodney Crowell, uh, Dolly Parton, Brenda Lee, you'd see them on the street, you'd talk to them. Uh, It was just really country, old-timey, and Alison was a big part of that. She hangs out with people like Larry Sparks and Del McCurry and the Whites, you know, really authentic Players now, it's still a great city, but it's very, very commercialised, mm-hmm. and um, it's kind of weird being there. It's so there's so many people in such a small space. Right. It's um, you go there now and you're in traffic jams where, the, where there's never any cars on the road. So it's kind of like <laughs> I haven't felt the urge to go back there because of that. My my time there was really I think authentic, and I was working with really great people. Which leads me to Alison. I, you know, I called Alison. Up and said, "Do you want to sing i 'I'm Missing You'?" And it was like, "Yeah." and uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> it was like she was such a great singer, and I love Alison. You know, I really do. I love Alison. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a big thing for me. Would your guys' voices?
0: Uh, it was such an awesome, awesome track. Congrats. Yeah. Oh, no,
1: awesome. it, it was honestly, it was, it was probably one of the penultimate moments. Uh, everything about that track was right. It was. It was hard. It was the drumming was hard. The guitar playing was hard, and we sang. Uh, it was really a beautiful thing. It, it's still my favourite version of "Missing You." Yeah, and, is it uh, really? And it, yeah, it, it was just incredible. And um, it, it, it was just incredible to work in her world and sing on her record. And the, all these people that were like real country, bluegrass people. It meant a lot to me. I really understood it, and um, just to be a fly on the wall and and see that world and you know play the Opry. I, we used to play the Opry together. I brought my band down and we played the Opry live <laughs> on the radio. Like, <laughs> that was that was really. I had my heart in my mouth doing that. I That's bet. the most nervous I've ever been. Oh my that gosh! Was really yeah.
0: Well, you know, our our next fan question, I think you kind of answered it. Larry Corley wants to know the backstory of how you and Allison for uh, Krauss came together and, and got the... Is well, yeah, you, we you, you wanted her voice on it. You called her up. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: that's yeah. just the way it was.
0: Yeah. So now in 2011, you released another awesome album, Rough and Tumble, and this time you partnered up with Maxbox 20 guitarist Kyle Cook. How'd that yeah, come I, together? I
1: got a mutual friend in, in Indiana that, that knew Kyle, Jeff Wally. And he said, you've got to meet Kyle. He's a great guy. You should work together. And he, he knew the Matchbox guys. And uh, we were both in uh, Tennessee. And we, I rang him up one morning and said, do you want to get together? And he said, yeah. And he came over. <laughs> and uh, we sat in this uh, rehearsal room and played the guitar. And we wrote a song called Better Off Gone immediately. And we liked each other. He was yeah. a very, He's a great guy. And he's a very underrated guitar player. I mean, he's a tremendous guitar player. Super musical guy and uh, a team kind of guy. He's really about getting the result. You know, he'll spend hours with you. He he gets it, you know. And we wrote four songs together, uh, Evil and, um, oh, a ton of other songs. I mean, If You Ever Get Lonely, which was superb, you know. Yeah. Great song. And uh, I was going to put out an EP. It was like four songs. Here we go. We're just going to do these four songs. It's, it's going to be stress-free. Everybody's going to love everybody. It's, it's no worries. Just put them out. It doesn't matter these days whether it's an album or an EP. And I made this EP, and um, my manager immediately said, "That's so great. You know, we um, we uh, we want more." And I thought, "Oh, you know, I planned to go back to Europe for a trip, and I had a month left, and I." And Kyle was like off doing something. He was up to his neck in his own life, and I was stuck. I was back in LA, yeah. so I looked through all my demos, and I and I just cut a bunch of songs that were sitting around. In three days, we could every we cut seven songs in three days, wow. and wrote rough and and wrote rough rough and tumble the day before we went into the into the studio. And cut all these songs and left them. I was going to make some when I got back, but we we made an album out of it in, in three days. Wow. And uh, Buff and Tumble went to number one on the classic rock chart. So,
0: yeah, I think
1: anything's possible. anything's possible.
0: Yeah, that's so cool, man. We well, you know what you released uh, All Access Live in 2012, a greatest hits record in 2014. So, so, what can people expect? You know, right now I'm getting tons of texts and messages coming in talking about how much they can't wait to see you next Friday. So, tell people. What could they what they can expect next Friday? Do you do you kind of mix it up? Do you play a lot of the newer stuff, older stuff? What's a What's a John Way show it, like right it now? it
1: Depends. When we get backstage, um, we kind of write out a set list, and it's and it's anything. It could be it could be like leaning towards the babies. It could be leaning towards the middle period of the country stuff, or some of the rock stuff. It, it's just we have such a lot of songs. We simply request something. We try and we try and play it. And if it's you know if it's something that means the world to somebody, I'll sing it without the band playing. I'll just sing it. Yeah. Uh, but it's two acoustic guitars, uh, electric bass, and a small drum kit. It's like a it's like a band. It's not unplugged like me being James Taylor, who is tremendous. But uh, it's the full band. But it's unplugged. And uh, we have a new album coming out called um, Acoustic Anthology, which is some of the best songs from the past albums that are unplugged. Plus, I recut six songs, uh, Unplugged to go on it. And there's a version of a Donovan song on there as well that's new. That's coming out in August in all the shops. And we have a Greatest Hits record coming out um, in August as well. That will be in the shops. So oh, it's wow. going to be a busy year. We're doing yeah. very well. A, lo- a lot of these gigs are sold out. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased about it. And, and, you know, we're looking forward so much to getting on the road again. Oh, the love. band missed the road. You know, the band really does kind of they don't know what to do with themselves when they're not on the road and <laughs> yeah. the point. neither do i you know after a while that's what i do
0: so I'm, I'm looking forward to being out there very cool you guys we're getting a lot of response i love it you guys are listening to the darren yates show on riot radio singer songwriter john Waite live with us right now on the phone he's out in santa monica check out his awesome site john performing next friday june 9th at the wildy theater got a couple of fan questions some rapid fire questions for you john if you don't mind yeah, sure. All right. So now, Zach Dagonia wants to know, do you prefer vinyl, CDs, or digital when listening to music on your own now?
1: Well, I don't have a record player, but I do have a great uh, Macintosh amp and preamp, and I'm, I'm toying with the idea of getting a, uh, a turntable. Um, oh, there you go. I, yeah. But, uh, but I uh, I must admit, I've, I, as far as stereos go, I use my computer and two tiny little Bose speakers. And... um. These yeah. days, I listen to a lot of classical. I was listening to uh, Pacini before we got on the um, on the telephone together. I listen to a lot of different stuff, but I don't really have... to Talk about format. I mean, uh, I just don't have anything yet. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've never really unpacked oh, the, <laughs> the amp and the preamp, but uh, I'm definitely thinking about it these days. But I think uh, the, the excitement of uh, buying a record and the warmth of that sound... Um, the analog sound, I think oh, is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just a different experience. Definitely. A different experience completely, you know?
0: Exactly. So now Jennifer Barras wants to know, at what point did you realize you had a great singing voice? Was it before or after you learned the bass guitar?
1: Ah, uh, before, uh, before I even played anything I could sing and I knew it, uh, but it wasn't, uh, something that I thought I was ever going to follow into a career. Yeah. I used to sing. I, everybody in my house used to sing and you know he hear these great early soul records that sing along and hit all the notes. I, I mean, mean, it was kind of like the elephant in the room was that I could sing.
0: You well know? The, the, the greatest singers the greatest rock singers pop singers whatever are the ones that were the, the second you know a half a note comes out you know who it is and you're one of those man so and I'm honored to have you here on my show so thank you again.
1: Well thanks very much I enjoyed our conversation and um no pressure like, I hope I see you down the road I'm not somewhere.
0: letting you go yet I got a few more Is that oh, cool? Oh okay All right. <laughs> I, no. I was backing
1: away there okay, No right. no not
0: at all I just want to make sure You, no. n- you know how much I appreciate it and, you Oh know I appreciate it No it's yeah. Yeah. It's my pleasure And yeah. uh, to Tim yeah, yeah, I think he's one of your managers Tim thank you For all your help This is awesome So so Laura okay. also wants to know Go ahead You were t- talking about, talk about Tim Tim's great isn't he? No
1: no no I just said he's a great guy
0: Yeah he is a good, very good dude so Laura also wants to know if you could go back in time, John, and give your, give advice to your younger self. What would it be?
1: Uh, don't be nervous. I was always extremely shy as a kid, and I got the job as singer with the babies because because um, they hadn't they couldn't find a singer, and I wrote the songs anyway. Really, we came right down to it. Right. Um, don't be nervous. Uh, and I wasn't. I listened to some of the demos the other day, and I'm singing. Uh, with a lot of confidence, and the, and I pretty much sound like I sound now. I I take my time before I hit the mic. I know exactly what I'm doing when I'm going for something, but it's all very spontaneous. Um, but uh, actually, I kind of got it right. I mean, I, you know, I don't really have a lot of advice for myself. I mean, I wouldn't sign contracts that I signed when I was a kid. Uh, I'd be more careful with people in the music business. Yeah, you can't really let your guard down because that isn't how it works.
0: Right, especially nowadays it seems like. It seems like it's tougher nowadays, yeah.
1: Yeah, Well, you know, it's pretty tough back then. People are predatory. And uh, I think um, I've always been pretty honest about how I do whatever I do, and I try and do it in the right way. And sometimes that backfires on you. You're dealing with people that are pretty ruthless. But how else can you do it? You know, you can't be guarded and be a businessman and make grey art, you can't uh, try to make grey art, it is art, you right. know, it matters, and you have to play with everything you've got, yep. and I've done that, I think, I really have tried, and nice. I still don't think it's important, but there is no advice, really, you, somebody comes in, at one, you can't teach anybody wisdom, you have to learn it, you know, right. and that's the truth, yeah.
0: Yeah, my my dad's a football coach. He would always tell me you, you you can't teach courage. You either have or you don't to go knock your yeah, heads out there. Yeah, that's <laughs>
1: true. You can't overcome something like that. You either got the balls. Yeah. To step up or you just don't. I mean, that's right. good. That's good. Your dad's right. Yeah. Yep.
0: So Margaret Ann Morell wants to know: You've had such a great career and colorful life. If you had Aladdin's lamp, what else would you wish for? Is there um, anything else that you want to do? Um. Yeah.
1: I. You know. I didn't get married again. I'd probably think I would get married and, but then again, uh, I've had such a great life, you know. Uh, You look back sometimes and you think, I mean, I wake up in the morning and I go like, I love my life. I get up and in my boxer shorts, I sort of walk (laughs) across my my huge condo to the kitchen and put the kettle on and I always say I love my life. I do, I I just say, because I'm glad to be wide awake and in the game, and uh, switched on. I'm, I'm pretty alive, you know? And I really do love my life, and I, I wish everyone around me and out there in radio land every happiness you can, you can get. I mean, it's easy to have if you stay positive and, and follow your heart, you know? Right on. But there's a lot of dark stuff out there. Yep. You gotta have your guard up at some point. But the world is pretty great. The world is beautiful.
0: Good stuff, John. Now, Richard Metcalf says, John, don't forget it's your round in New York. See you in September. From Rich and Ian from <laughs> England. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Richard, he, uh, he's a great guy. Um, he actually has he had this uh, huge uh, sort of like country house hotel in a beautiful setting <laughs> in, uh, in Yorkshire, and uh, he used to live in my hometown. And he, he hired the band to come up. We were on a European tour and we went and played in his hotel. And we became great friends. And uh, when we play in New York, he always comes out uh, with his friends and, and we hang out and have a few pints. But I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's a great guy.
0: Very cool. Lynn Pine Wright wants you to come back to the Iridium in New York City.
1: So, well, we, we, we were trying to do that. And, um, but then B.B. Kings made a a much better offer. And there then the City Winery made us a, a much better offer. And I thought, ah uh, you know, it was just I didn't wanna we've had a lot of great times at Iridium and uh, we've worked with some great people there, uh, and BB Kings. But I think the next time we're going to New York I wanna play a theatre. You know, I it's you go into New I used to live in New York for twenty years and I love that city and I'd, any excuse to go back is is one I just take. But last time we the last time but one we played there just to make it work financially we play, we stayed in a hotel we stayed in a hotel i've never in my life stayed in a hotel that funky and it was like something out of the, it was like it was like out of the 60s yeah. it was like it was just like a crack hotel and i i was <laughs> yeah, like i was great. like you know what are we doing you know i mean but the money it, it takes to plane to go into new york stay there and uh and function and get out in one piece it's expensive so I think the next time we go in, we're going to play somewhere that's uh, bigger. Yeah. And I think we've enjoyed the we've enjoyed the New York club scene. It's been just really great for us because the unplugged thing we do sometimes—that's what we do. But uh, at the same time. Uh, we were capable of playing bigger places, and I think that's what,
0: what we're going to try for. Nice. Now, Steve Stockman, he is one of our hosts of a, of a kind of a heavier music show called Homegrown here on Riot Radio. He wants to know yes. some really good Spinal Tap moments over the years. You know, or crazy things that happened because you know, rock. I, I play music as well in the band called On Tracy Lane, so I know rock shows never go off perfectly. heavy. Oh, Have, right, of course. Yeah. Of course. Now, the situation with the the, um, the when you fell and hurt your knee, that was pretty crazy. Yeah. But any other crazy well, stories no, of things happening?
1: Yeah, there's one in particular that always makes me smile. We were playing Red Rocks, um, in Colorado, I think it is. Red yep. Rocks, it's a big, huge outdoor, beautiful gig. Uh, and I had these, I, I had these really beautiful pigskin uh, leather pants that I lost. So I ran out <laughs> and bought a pair of. Yeah, I, I lost love them. it. Uh, it's terrible. I love those pants. Uh, we're on the road with Journey and Peter Frampton, and I went out and bought these skin-tight black leather pants uh, on the road, and uh, they were really tight. And I I was singing to the audience, the, and it was like the last song, and everybody's sort of standing up, and it's just we're just killing it, you know? And I jump off the front of the stage, into the audience, and it's, I'm singing, and everybody's singing along, passing the mic around, And he was like, Good night. And then I turn around and try and get back on stage and my pants are so tight (laughs) that I I can't get my knee like two feet up to get back on stage, right? I can't just stood there and my pants are so tight I can't do anything. (laughs) And um so I kinda rolled onto the stage. Oh and a roadie, a roadie ran out and picked me up and I, and I, I sort of went back to the mic and, you know, Hey, that's what's going on. Yeah. But that's called death by pants. You know, it's like, um, <laughs> that was, the, that was just like, I couldn't believe it was happening and it was funny, but it was oh. like, it was so spinal tap. I mean, that is totally. spinal
0: tap. Oh, that's yeah? fantastic. I love that. Yeah. I got one more fan question here and I want to thank all the fans who are listening of John Way you guys sorry I couldn't get to all your questions I don't think John wants to be here for two hours but a Christy Woodley Branvold asked I think you kind of touched on this before too John what has been your biggest inspiration in your life that has made you the fabulous songwriter that you are? My life Yeah
1: No there's di- I write from my life I don't look at the chance and try and write one of those I never did and um
0: Nice I love that
1: no, it's just my life. I, I look around at my, I look at my hands and I, I write a song. We not... There isn't anything, there, there, I mean there's some superb writers like Bert Bacharach and Keith Richards and Mick Jagger and Pete Townshend and, and, you know, the list is endless, like authors, you know, yeah. and everybody's trying to do the same thing, they're trying to create something new, really.
0: Nice. Now, before I get into my little Darren Yates show rapid fire questions, I saw this quote on your website, man. It is beautiful. It's awesome. I got to read it. Songs and songwriting keep me, keep me inspired moving forward. I tend to scribble down notes, lyrics, or just random thoughts on pieces of paper, backs of cigarette packs, sometimes on my shirt cuff. Rock and roll is closest thing I've got to a spiritual power. It's been the higher voice in my life and it's never let me down. John Waite. That's beautiful, man.
1: Well, yeah, it's, yeah, I like that myself.
0: I'm going to get a tattoo to my back in old, old English. Yeah, owner.
1: me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so I got some rapid-fire questions for you, John. I know you're busy, guys. Your favorite all-time singer and your favorite all-time band. If you had to pick well, one.
1: Free. Free would be uh, with Paul Rogers. When I was a kid and I heard Free. I mean, the Beatles and uh, the Stones and the Who and the cowboy music that I listened to as a kid was all hugely influential. But when I heard Free with Paul Rogers, it, it seemed like it encapsulated all the blues and all and whatever it is I was going through in my seventeen year old brain. Yeah. I understood it immediately. And it was honest. And uh, Paul Rogers is still a magnificent singer. I mean you you have like a handful of great British singers, like, you know, Rod Stewart, Robert Plant, Terry Reid. The list just goes on. Yeah it does. doesn't it? Uh, somewhere around Paul Rogers the 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 um, you can't really. After that, it's just downhill, you know.
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, man, your voice and your songwriting—you're very versatile. You've you've touched on blues, like I said, pop and rock, and you dabbled in a little bit of country kind of vibe. I mean, not many singers can do that. I mean, kudos to you. Man.
1: Well, you know, it's it's uh, you know everything is eclectic. I mean, you go outside and you look at the stars and you look at the the sun or the. the the, the pavement, you know, the sidewalk, you look at the grass and the trees and people's eyes. You get a lot of stuff coming at you all the time. And everything influences everything. When you walk outside the door and go and get a cup of coffee, you're going to see a thousand things in a minute. And you edit and you think of these things and you look at them. And they, everything changes your life. Right. Everything all the time. There's no such thing as standing still. Nice. That's death. Yep,
0: yeah, that's exactly right. So, John, your favorite movie... Do are you, are you like comedies, do you like horror, are you like?
1: Oh no, I'm, I'm a big movie buff, I, I collect movies. Nice. I, the Criterion Collection is, is you know, that, that sort of, you can buy DVDs of, but I watch, man, I'm so into it. I mean, I, I watch everything from Kurosawa to, uh, you know, I mean, David Lean. I mean, all the really great uh classic movies is like, that's all I really watch outside of Bill Maher and CNN. But uh, I love movies. I think I, you know a, a really great movie that I've, I've been preoccupied with for a lot of my life has been *Performance*. Nicholas Rogue's movie. Uh, uh, Mick Jagger was in it, uh, but it was it was a, a psychedelic kind of take on um, London and exchanging personalities as a gangster and a, and a retired hermit kind of rock star. Who exchange personalities, and it's all sort of like Borges, uh, the, the South American writer. is very influenced by um, by him, and it's a profoundly deep movie. It's it's really got a lot of things going on, and if you get a chance to see performance, I would uh, I would I would jump at it. There's a guy called um, David Litvinoff, who was like the the engine behind London scene from the 50s to the 60s, and he uh, was friends with gangsters and royalty and rock stars. And he had the concept, really, David Lipinoff is a a mythic figure. But uh, these characters all came together for this one movie. Uh, David Camel is involved in it. It's it's, it's really something, you can spend, I've got several books on it. But it's it's a deep it's it's once you open that door and go in yeah. it's one of those movies that lasts it's lasted uh, yeah, check it out oh it's it's life changing I've watched it maybe a hundred times yeah
0: that's awesome so so John your your favorite fast food or your favorite dish fast
1: food oh my god yeah do you uh, fast food <laughs> I don't really eat fast food
0: you're I'm going to Taco be like, Bell uh, for a two, two two large chicken breast yeah you know, Taco a show Bell is
1: great no on the road Taco Bell is great you can get a veggie uh, burrito there you go and, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm not kidding. Um, you can woof those down, and it's about $8. And, <laughs> right. And, you know, when the band are in the van and we're going somewhere, somebody says, Taco Bell. And we pull in and just, you know, chow down. But we have to, you know, the, the rest of the trip, we have to wind the windows down, you know.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> so, what about, like, you know, a, f- a fancy restaurant? What do you order?
1: Um, I'm into lobster. I like lobster very much. Yeah. I like Indian food. Um, um, more than anything. I could live off Indian food. I mean, uh, last week I had Indian food about maybe four times. Nice, um, right. Yeah, it's good vegetarian, cauliflower, you know. Uh, I mean, it's just great the vegetarian or, or fish, but whatever you're going to have with Indian food, it's just, it's a British thing. All British people eat a lot of it. There
0: you go, I love that. So, John, do you have any pre-show rituals that you do before a show? Do you, do you, you know, do you, certain, do you have... Do you eat certain food? Do you do vocal warm-ups? No. Do you do push-ups? Do you do jumping no, jacks? No, I don't maybe? do
1: anything. I, I don't, you know, I used to smoke a cigarette and then drink a bottle of water. I mean, I just, I don't have that thing where get ready people, here I come, and I just walk out and sing. I mean, I, I try and get the band focused. We all sort of, everybody's not allowed in the dressing room for nice. at least 15 minutes before the show, Yep. and we talk about the set very seriously, love and it. we just tune get, up.
0: Just get dialed <laughs> in.
1: Yeah, there's a moment when you have to sort of like pull it all together. You've been on the road for, you know, at least 15 hours that day uh, to get where you are. And um, you're gonna go out there and play for an hour and a half and you have to pull people. And they're all ready to do it. I mean, that's what they do. Everybody's playing scales and looking at the set list and talking about keys and what we're gonna do with this. And the band kind of rehearse. I mean, we've we've never really had a rehearsal. I mean, we rehearsed, the band that cut Rough and Tumble rehearsed for like five hours before we cut seven songs. And when we played the European tour about 10 years ago, nine years ago, we rehearsed in a in a hotel room in Dudley before we played a festival with that band when they flew in. Uh, but I can't remember, apart from those two moments, rehearsing anywhere. I mean, we just do sound check. Yeah. Get the right sound, and then talk about it. And if somebody's coming in to play a gig for the first time, a guitar player or something, we just do it backstage. I mean, I know it sounds probably improbable, but it works. I mean, he, he, people operate on a on a pretty high standard when, you, when you're doing the stuff that we do, and you know, you learn by just the house lights coming up and away you go. You
0: know, nice. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So, so John, if you weren't a professional musician, rock star, what would you be doing, you think?
1: Um, I'd write, I think. I'd write a book. I like to write prose, and I read a lot. And I went to art school to be a painter, so maybe I'd be a starving painter somewhere. Like <laughs> there you go. Um, they reckon that painting's dead. Photography killed it. You know, you can't really paint anymore and do something that's really mind-blowing. It, right. It's more photography now and more modern art, and that's the way it should be. Um, but I think I would, I'd seriously like to write a book. I started to toy with it about two years ago. And I have a book I've, I've been going back to and looking at and fleshing out the characters. And But I'd like to have a crack at writing a book. I read a lot and I enjoy literature. I do.
0: I love it. You guys, the, 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 the John Waite love is coming in. You guys are listening to The Darren Yates Show on Riot Radio. Check out John's website, JohnWaiteWorldwide.com. He's playing next Friday, June 9th at the Wildy Theater here in this area in Eversville, Illinois, about twenty minutes, fifteen minutes from St. Louis. So, John, I want to thank you again, and would you do a couple IDs for us? Would that be sure, alright?
1: Let me get a pen. Yeah.
0: Do you mind? Yeah. I appreciate no, no, it's okay. that. Okay. I'll
1: do it. Uh, let me get a pen.
0: Very okay, cool. And again, tell Tim's <laughs> at listening, Tim, thank you. I mean, the uh, the emails and texts are pouring in. You guys, I, I love it. I might have to go to the show next week. I might have to tell my wife. <laughs> We're supposed to be having dinner with some family coming in, but I think I'm going to break that. John, is that cool? Are you cool well, with that?
1: Well, bring him along. I mean, just, just <laughs> yeah. get in touch with Tim. Get in touch with Tim, he'll get you in. I'm going to
0: do that. Out, so. Tim, you hear that? <laughs> All right. That's so, great. So what do, you mean, what
1: do you need to say? Yeah,
0: you know, hey, this is John Waite, and you're listening to The Darren Yates Show.
1: Darren Yates. Yep. Okay. Ready? Yep. Hi, this is John Waite with my good friend Darren Yates on The Darren Yates Show.
0: I love it. And now, if you don't mind, doing yeah. one for for our, our overall station here, Riot Radio. Hey, this is John Waite. You're listening to Riot Radio.
1: Okay. Hi, everybody. This is John Waite, and you're listening to Riot Radio.
0: Yes. Love it. True yeah. rocker. Indeed. First yes. takes. Done. I love it. John, thank you again, my friend. I can't wait for you to kick some butt here next week in town to the Wildy. Much love to you, and congrats on everything, and good luck with everything, and I hope we can do this again.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, for for talking to you, Darren. You're a, you're a, you're a smart guy, and it was, good, it was good fun.
0: Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Thanks to Tim again, and uh, johnwaitworldwide.com, very cool website. All right, John, we'll talk soon. Soon. Right, Take b- care, man. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Alright guys, I hope you enjoyed John Waite calling in to The Darren Yates Show on Riot Radio. That was fun. And uh, thank you again guys for listening. Let's hear a little more of John Waite. I'm in John's vibe here. I love it. Thank you again, John, for listening. Tim, thank you.
1: Every time I think of you, I always catch my breath.
0: Here we go. Hello, this is uh, The Darren Yates Show on Riot Radio.
1: It's Darren, it's
0: John Waite. John Waite. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling in. We do appreciate it. We know you're busy.
1: Oh, no, it's okay. I appreciate
0: the time, Darren. All right. down this long-distance
1: line tonight.
0: Thank you all so much for checking out the Darren Yates Podcast. Make sure you follow my YouTube page, my Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. I want to hear from all of you. I want to hear your stories. I want to help all I can. God bless. Love you. Let's talk soon.